Feel Strong Fitness Podcast. My name is Justin McClintock, and this week we have Cheryl Ilov on the project. Cheryl is the host of the Femininja podcast, which is how we met each other. I was on that show, and it was lovely, and we really connected well. She is remarkable. She was a physical therapist for 18 years, then closed her office and completely changed the way she works with people to get out of pain, improve their level of function, reclaim their health, and enjoy an active lifestyle. Sound familiar? That's why we connected so, so well. She started ninja training, martial arts to become a ninja at the age of 47, and 10 years later, became her teacher's first female black belt. Cheryl is remarkable. It was a joy to talk to her, and I think you're going to enjoy it too. Here's Cheryl Ilov on the Feel Strong Podcast. Cheryl Ilov, welcome to the Feel Strong Podcast. Why, thank you so much for having me, Justin. It is an honor to be here. I'm excited to have you here. Now, you referred to yourself to me as a recovering physical therapist, and I would like to start right there and unpack that if we could. Okay, well, actually, physical therapy is my second career. I was a respiratory therapist working in the hospitals, you know, critical care, emergency room, resuscitation team for about 17 years, and I decided I needed a change and that physical therapy would be a really good fit for me. Yeah, I envisioned myself maybe specializing with dancers and, you know, it would just be wonderful people who are really fit and wanted to be in great shape and wanted to be able or very motivated to to heal from injuries. And once I got my master's degree and I got out in the field, I realized I absolutely hated it. It was just not what I expected. It was cookie cutter. You know, here's the diagnosis. Here's the ICD-9 code. This is the protocol. You only get three sessions with this person, so good luck. And if it doesn't work out, you know, Godspeed, you know, wish them well. It's probably that the patient did something wrong. And that just really did not, it was not in alignment with what I found in my own personal path to healing. And after struggling in that environment for two and a half years, I finally realized, oh my gosh, I could go out on my own, which I did. So I opened up my own alternative physical therapy practice and specialized in Pilates-based rehabilitation and conditioning. And then later I added a modality called Feldenkrais, which is a another movement modality. So what I did in my office was I, and I would tell my clients, I did not have patients, I had clients, it was a cash-only practice, I was the lone <laughs> employee, and I told them when they came to me that I was not going to fix them, I would teach them how to fix themselves and to be able to do anything that they wanted to do. I was here to help coach them to find their own path to healing and wellness and fitness to the level of whatever they wanted. That's absolutely beautiful. And that, that frustration, especially in a clinical insurance-based setting, I keep hearing over and over and over again from physical therapists who, like yourself, have gone into the field with the best of intentions to try and solve people's problems in a really deep way that requires a ton of education and a ton of knowledge, and then running up against these walls where they can't actually put into practice everything they know and the way forward that they see. Mm -hmm, exactly. And a lot of times, too, because the emphasis was always on productivity, <laughs> you know, not patient care, it was productivity, you know, how many points can you get in, you know, make sure you get enough charges, and the paperwork was just, you know, a mile high that you had to do every single day. And because as the PT, 
I was responsible for writing the protocols, you know, or the setting the goals and doing all the documentation for the insurance companies. So it was the PT aides and the physical therapy assistants that were working one-on-one with the patients. And I'm sitting there buried in paperwork going, this is not exactly what I had planned. Yes, this is administration. Shouldn't there be an administrative role who does this in this massive (laughs) administrative field that is medicine now? Yes, exactly. And that would have been fine. And if I wanted that, I would have gone for that. But I didn't. That's not what I wanted. I love it. Are there people who, do you get any clients coming from traditional physical therapy? Do people graduate or more often get kicked out of physical therapy and say, I I know I'm not done. I still need some help. What am I supposed to do here? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That is pretty much the majority of my practice. And when I finally, you know, when I did open my practice, it was the what we would call in traditional physical therapy, the, the failures, the ones who failed traditional PT through certainly no fault of their own, I might add. But I got a lot of clients like that. I got a lot of clients from a few chiropractors who, once they knew who I was and the kind of work that I was doing, they would send them to me because they understood that I wasn't going to be doing the traditional PT. And I did get a lot of people who graduated, as you said, from their physical therapy treatment, and they were not satisfied at all with where they were. And they had not only the laundry list, oh my gosh, of incredibly boring, and I'm talking gut-wrenchingly boring exercises and stretches that they were to continue to do that the physical therapists were giving them that weren't really helping them anyhow. So why were they wasting their time? So they were just frustrated. And a lot of them would come to me almost like a last resort, which thank goodness I did not know that initially, because that would have sent me running off into the woods screaming, never to be heard from again, because I don't think I could have handled the pressure. But my approach was so different from traditional PT and even other PTs who've gone off on their own. So it was, I had quite a a successful and thriving practice for 18 years. That's wonderful. And that's an element that, and I've heard this from other people, and certainly it's a lot of what we do at Feel Strong is based on having this freedom to be really creative with these solutions. And not mm-hmm. just, not that you're doing this, but not novelty for novelty's sake, but mm-hmm. okay, you've tried your TheraBands, you've tried your leg raises, you've tried your massage, you've tried your stim. That either hasn't worked, or it's stopped working, or it's not progressing with you. We need another way forward, and then mm-hmm. crafting that solution, I'd like to hear your thoughts on this, around exactly your goals. Where do you wanna go? Because if you wanna run again, I have some ideas, but if you don't care about running, but you're really interested in being able to get on the ground and play with your grandkids, that's a whole different program. And we're going to build two different Mm -hmm. things for two different people. Mm -hmm. And I'm so glad you said that because, yeah, two different things for two different people, because none of us are alike. No two people are exactly alike. We all have our goals. We all have our dreams. We all have our histories. We all have our body chemistry. We all have our structural alignment, you know, and we all have a different way of of looking at life. I mean, you, you can't just put people into a box or, you know, again, like, okay, here's the diagnosis, here's the ICD-9 code. We're not, you're not making a recipe. And you have to really engage with the client that you're working with. And that's what I loved, was what do you want to do? And I'd have some people, a lot of people would come to me and say, well, what do you want me to do? Well, I don't want you to do anything. I want you, except I want you to tell me what you need and what you would like to achieve and like to accomplish. And like you said, everybody is different. How do you, if someone comes to you and you don't have 
any information. They walk in the door, their referral, they show up. Cheryl, I'm so excited. Ah, my lower back. Can we start today? What am I supposed to do? What's your, what's your roughly, what's your process forward with someone? You know, I actually prefer that somebody comes to me without their long list of, you know, I have people sometimes will come, here's the x-rays, here's the progress report, here's this, and I just kind of say, just put it down. I want to start from the very beginning. I don't want any preconceived notions or ideas. I don't want any expectations. I see this person for the first time, you know, it's a new person. I don't know anything about them. I want them to talk to me. And I want to have a conversation so they can tell me what their experience has been up to this point, what they have tried, what has worked, what hasn't worked. When they try and explain to me or they tell me, well, this is the diagnosis and this is what they're telling me. And it's like, you know, no, 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 let's not do that. Because if you hear the same thing over and over again, that's basically you become the label that somebody else has put on you. And I understand that myself because that's what I went through, you know, 30 years ago as a chronic pain patient. And it was once you accept that label and you hear it often enough, even if you know that inherently that doesn't go along with your belief system, your brain doesn't know the difference. And it keeps recording that message. You're a chronic pain patient. You will never recover. So we just bust through all of those those lies and those myths that telling us. I love that. We often tell people that you are not your diagnosis in that same way. I'm not saying it's not true. Exactly. No one is claiming you mm-hmm. don't have a bulge disc, but I'm not that mm-hmm. interested in it. I'm very interested in mm-hmm. how you feel and how you function and what you can do and what you want to do and how we're progressing day to day, all of that. But if like the picture doesn't mean that much one way or the other, and often I find that imaging can be as damaging as it can be helpful and informative. Absolutely. And you're absolutely right. We need to focus on the person's abilities, not continue to pick at that what they perceive as a disability or a problem or an injury or a disorder. It's like, let's move away from that and let's go more, you know, organically, more globally, more peripherally and get away from that one issue that's bothering you and see what we can do. And that's usually when the magic starts to happen. Exactly. Because those are things, those other things are things they can't control anyway. So walking around Mm -hmm. and feeling weighed down with this, this diagnosis and this imaging and all these things I've been told but if you can't do anything to affect change on that anyway, it's it's literally mm-hmm. not a thing that's worth spending any time for. Like, what can you control? Okay, what can we be consistent mm-hmm. with? Sprinkle some creativity mm-hmm. on there. And now we actually have mm-hmm. an individualized solution for an individual. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I love that. Now, you also started martial arts slightly later than most. I am fascinated by this story. <laughs> Thank you. Even I am too sometimes. I can't believe I did it. I can't believe, you know, the journey that I have been on. And I did begin my training at the tender young age of 47. I did not go willingly. I am a ballet dancer. I have been dancing now. Oh my gosh. Well, I started that late in life too. I started dancing when I was 20, but that was a huge, huge part of my life. But, you know, at the age of 47, I started training. I actually met my sensei three years earlier. I met him at the tender young age of 44. 
And when I met him, he's an acupuncturist. And it was the first time I went to see him. Somebody from my office, you know, one of my clients highly recommended him. And I thought, okay, I'll give this guy a try. So I went to his office and the very first day he put needles in my legs, he got a very far away look on his face. And he said to me, you know, with your legs and my coaching, I could teach you how to kill with these things. <laughs> Who says that? let alone says it out loud. So I thought, oh my goodness, this guy is absolutely crazy. You know, where's my purse? I need to leave. And it was like, well, I couldn't because I was literally pinned to the table. So he had a captive audience. And I mean, I didn't even know how to react to him or how to respond until finally I said, well, thank you. I appreciate the offer, but no, I'm going to save my killer legs for ballet class. Well, he had a studio or a martial arts school right next to his clinic. And every time I went for a treatment, he would go on and on and on about the art of the ninja and about his martial art and about, and he would just keep talking until I wanted to pick him up and shake him and say, will you please just shut up and leave the room and let the needles do their work? Because I was so sick and tired of hearing about the art of the ninja. And he says, you'd be so good at it because you're a dancer and a woman. It's such a sensual martial art. And I thought, okay, now I know he's nuts. And then he, when he went into everything's a weapon, that's what I figured, okay, he's bonafide crazy. But I still liked him, I was comfortable with him, I just didn't want to hear about his martial art anymore. Well, it's a very long story, long background story, but it took him three years. And after three years of nagging me and haranguing me and harassing me, you've got to study with me, you've got to take some classes, I finally said, okay, I will take a few classes just to prove to you how much I'm going to hate it, and then I'll quit. And I didn't hate it. I fell in love with the training. I fell in love with the art, and I really fell in love with the sense of empowerment that I got through the training. Even very early on in my training, my first class, I mean, I was terrified. I was just like, I was so out of my element. I was so out of my comfort zone, and I was terrified. However, I did survive the class. And I giggled all the way home when I was driving home. I don't even know why, but there was something about it that just, it was, it was fun. It was almost childlike because, you know, you got to roll around on the floor. And by the way, I was really terrible at it, just so you know. You know, they, they were really gentle with me. I was the only woman in class. And most of the time I was the only woman. And that was another level of angst and discomfort and you know, going from this world of all these ballerinas and a few male dancers splat, you know, here and there in class, to walk into a testosterone-infested, male-dominated dojo, you know, and give them permission to hit me, kick me, punch me, throw me, choke me, pin me to the ground, was really a huge step. That's gigantic. I mean, going from that environment to such a hard contact sport, what do you think changed from 44 Cheryl to 47 Cheryl that, that let you make that leap? Well, full disclosure, I did have a traumatic experience right before I met my sensei, Mark. And that happened in early September. And so it was about three or four months later that I met Mark just for to see him for acupuncture. Actually, I went to him mostly for shiatsu because my client told me, you know, she knew I wasn't going to let anybody massage me or, you know, it's like, you know, 
keep some distance here, but she says you would love the shiatsu because, you know, it's very pinpoint, working on pressure points and meridians. And she says, and you get to keep your clothes on. And I'm like, okay, maybe I can try it. And if you are that confident in this man, then I will try him. Of course, that confidence was a little shaken when he's telling me that he could teach me how to kill with my legs. But so, you know, that first year, Mark didn't know about the traumatic experience. He didn't know about it. And it was about a year after, it was almost a year and a half after it happened, and I had stopped seeing him. And I was re-triggered, and it all just came spewing out of me. And it was bad. It was ugly. And it was, you know, full-blown post-traumatic stress, something I never thought I would ever have to deal with. You know, because I'm a pretty sassy and, and relatively strong person, I thought. I basically, I went back to Mark for a treatment, and I knew intuitively that he would listen to me. And I knew intuitively that he wouldn't judge me and he would believe me because everybody up to that point that I tried to say, hey, this happened, I need some help, were just shutting me down, even people who were very close to me. So I went to Mark and I told him what happened. And right away, he started treating some of the symptoms with the acupuncture and Chinese herbs and stuff. And that's when his campaign to get me on the mat went into high gear. And he says, Cheryl, I know this will help you. There's an incredible healing power in martial arts. And I, he would just, he just wouldn't shut up. He was like a dog with a bone. And I kept saying no, because I didn't understand how hanging out in a smelly dojo with a bunch of sweaty men was going to make me feel better. If nothing else, I thought it would maybe make me feel worse. And I finally said yes for two reasons. Number one, I had hit rock bottom. I had nowhere else to go. I had nowhere else to turn to. And I was just at my wit's end. And number two, so that was the first reason why I decided, okay, I was going to go and watch a class, just watch a class. And he was so excited that I was going to come and watch a class. Oh my gosh, I, he was so excited. But I had to go after ballet class, right? So I took my morning ballet class, of course, took my morning ballet class, drove across town to the studio, and I walked in and I was so excited because I, I thought this could be something that could help me heal. So I was just really looking forward to it. And when I walked through that door, I was horrified. There were bodies flying everywhere. They were screaming. They were grunting. They were punching. They were throwing. And I'm just standing there frozen, you know, in place, just staring. And at the end of the mat, I could see Mark, my friend Mark, who I had known at this point for three years, and he was my healer, you know, my acupuncturist. He's talking to a group of students, and they're all surrounding him in this little circle, and he has one of his students in a headlock. So he's calmly talking to his students, and there's the other one in this headlock, and his face is starting to turn red, and then a little bit purple, and then finally he releases him, the poor man falls to the ground, Mark helps him up, and he says to Mark, man, that was awesome. Show me how to do that. And I'm like, I'm out of here. And Mark saw me standing, you know, in the corner, and he came running over, and he says, well, what do you think? Do you want to give this a try? And I'm like, no. I didn't say no. I had a lot more ex words I really won't say on air. It's like, I'm not going to do this. And, you know, he looked so crushed. He was so disappointed. And, you know, he, he kept saying, come on, just step on the mat, just try it, just try it. And I'm like, that is never going to happen. And he was really disappointed. But of course, I was devastated because here was this one thing I thought might help me. 
And instead of giggling, I cried all the way home, and I was just absolutely devastated. Well, that night, I had dreams of dragons and swords and black geese and predators of all shapes and sizes, and it was like, man, what was that all about? And the next day in ballet class, I kept thinking what it would be like to be in that environment instead of here in this one with the ballet, you know, leotard and my toe shoes and stuff. And I wondered what happened in class after I had left. So that same night, again, with the nightmares and the dragons and the swords and all this stuff. And I woke up and I thought, you know, maybe I was a little hasty. So I called Mark. There was another class. That was a Friday. And I says, you know, maybe I was a little hasty on Wednesday. I'm going to come back and, and watch another class. And he was, again, over the moon. And I said, you know, no promises, but after ballet class, <laughs> I'll be there to watch. So I walked in, and oh my gosh, this class was even worse than the one on Wednesday because there were more people who were able to take, it's a noon class, more people that were able to take lunch break and, you know, come to class and because it was a Friday, maybe three-day weekends. Oh my gosh, wall-to-wall -wall men. And again, bodies flying everywhere. And Mark said, come on, are you going to try it? Let's try it. And I said, there is no way I'm going to do this. And we're going back and forth playing this little game of, you know, just try it. I'm not going to. And this one man was listening on the mat and he was eavesdropping. And he came walking over to us and he actually said to me, and he's this big man. He looked like a, you know, gray haired gorilla. He was really big. And so he was older, you know, gray haired and stuff. And he had the most obnoxious voice. And he said to me, do you know what typically happens to timid little ladies like you? And I thought, he called me timid, little, and a lady, all in one sentence. And I could see Mark's face just light up. And he got this big grin on his face. And I just put my hand on my hip and I said, no, what? And he said, after a few weeks in here, you turn into sadistic little killing machines with eyeballs flying across the dojo and crushing testicles. And I went, huh, you know what? Maybe I can do this. So I signed up right there on the spot. So that's how it all began. Although I never planned on getting a black belt. I never even wanted a yellow belt. I didn't even want the white belt, but it came with the uniform, so I took it. That's, so that's first of all, that's all a began. great story. Thank you for sharing that, and thank you for sharing about your trauma. That's a heck of a sales pitch. Of you, we can turn you into a killing machine. <laughs> and, and I think it's a really interesting mm -hmm. correlation yeah. with some of the work that, that we both do, that you do. You mentioned that you weren't ready to take this step until you felt like you were at rock bottom. You had tried everything else. You tried all the other ways you knew how to mm -hmm. heal and, and, mm -hmm. and undo this and move forward towards the kind of person you knew you wanted to be and maybe had felt like you had been before creating something new and were backed into a corner. And does that resonate with you, with the clients that you serve now? Oh, absolutely. And I even, you know, of course, at this point in my life, I do teach a lot of martial arts. I teach a lot of the classes, you know, at the dojo, which is really funny, especially when a new guy comes in and they see, they see me and it's like, oh, you must be somebody's mom or grandma coming to pick up her kid. And then I walk out and go in the dressing room and I walk out, you know, with my black belt and my uniform. And it's like, oh, wow. But I teach a lot of self-defense for women. And I actually would take 
a lot of the principles of what I do in martial arts and in my self-defense classes and take them to my clients and use a lot of the principles, a lot of the movement patterns, a lot of the philosophy, even just the way that you stand, walk, move, look at people makes a huge difference in their healing process because now they do feel powerful. And they know that even if they could stand in a way where they feel very grounded, they can feel where their spine is, they know where their center is, then they know they can do even more. And that's basically a lot of times where we begin. It just depends on the client, of course. But I've even had a couple of male clients that were pretty traumatized, you could tell. And I would just say, okay, punch me. And then we'll take it from there. If you try and punch me and then, you know, we'll do some martial arts. Boy, they love that. And some of them were very enthusiastic. It's like, just make sure you punch slow because I don't want to have to react too fast. I love that. Is there something about that environment? How do I want to ask this? That experience of you walking in the first time, like being ready for this, excited, this is going to be something, walking into that relatively chaotic environment that you maybe weren't quite expecting and having that be a turnoff in a very big way. Like I thought I, this was gonna be the thing and now I don't belong here. Have you done anything in the way you teach to adjust that or do you think that's an important part of it? No, door number one, that's what I do is I always, especially when I'm working with women, who obviously a lot of the women I work with and have worked with have been traumatized. So, and that's why they're coming to get some self-defense or some experience and, and get their confidence and their power back. So I always start in a very soft way and I start in a very playful way, you know, make it kind of almost, almost like a game and almost like we're playing. And to be honest, that's how even we do our basic martial art. Even the first time, my first class, and Mark showed this horrible technique. Of course, I wasn't even watching because I could hear the, you know, flesh pounding and the guy screaming and then the body hitting the floor. So I just closed my eyes and, and wouldn't even watch. But as soon as he was done and he demonstrated the technique, he said, okay, everybody, now let's go play. And I thought, if this is his idea of play, I would hate to see him fight. So we do, it's a very playful art. And the dojo is, the whole atmosphere is kind of, I don't want to say loose, but my dad was a martial artist. He was a second, or he was a black belt in karate. And of course, everybody was shocked when they heard that I was studying a martial art. So the next time my dad came to visit, he's like, I got to see this. So he came to the dojo to watch a class where, you know, there were just a few of us in, in noon class. And what he said to me afterward, he says, what impresses me the most is how much fun you all have together. And I says, well, that's the way you learn. If you're terrified, or if you have to be a certain way and you have to execute this technique perfectly, well, that's a lot of pressure. That's not fun. And that just ratchets up your nervous system and puts you into that fight or flight. But we understand, just like we were talking earlier, everybody is different. We all move differently. We all have completely different structures. So we gear it toward the individual. And how are we going to make this technique work for you? And so it's just an exploration. And I just want to interject, too. I have got to tell you how wonderful the men were with me once they got used to me and my peculiarities. And once I got used to them and theirs, they were so wonderful in working with me and they also tapped into my feminine spirit and my you know my femininity and used me how to use my feminine wiles to take down my opponents 
I mean, it was just absolutely magical. I call them the many magnificent men in my life. I wouldn't be here without. Well, them. yeah, you 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 arrive with a different tool set than they do, right? So you have different things to pull from. That's just like any individual. Mm-hmm. Like you show up with what you have, and someone who shows up with legs, you know, that coach's eye who picks out, oh, these are potentially killer <laughs> legs. I can tell just by looking at them. I don't say this to most people. Most people don't come with killer legs because they haven't been dancing for right. many years and built up all this. Well, I have to tell you the very first class after Mark had demonstrated the technique and I opened my eyes, I saw this black belt walking right toward me. And I thought, this can't be a good sign. And so I'm looking for the door to try and, you know, sneak away. And he stops right in front of me and he introduces himself. He says, you know, this is what I want you to do. And I want you to kick me. And I was twirling my ponytail and I said, but I don't want to kick you. And he says, no, you just kick me. And I says, I have never kicked anybody in my life, and I'm not going to start now. And he's like, oh, you could just sit. He thought I was adorable. You could kind of see that little word bubble above his head, and she cute. And I says, besides, I don't want to hurt you. And then he got this big grin on his face. He says, you can't hurt me. Oh, trust me. And I'm like, well, and we kept going back and forth. And I says, well, I don't want to kick you in the sensitive parts, if you know what I mean, because I'm looking below the belt, because that's where he says, kick here. And I says, well, what if I miss and I get lower? And he goes, I don't want that either, but don't worry. Everything's going to be fine. I can take care of myself. You can't hurt me. Okay. Well, I didn't know how to kick, but I sure know how to do a grand jeté. So I just picked up my right leg and I just pointed my toes deep into his abdomen with all of the strength and intention of doing a grand jeté across the ballet stage. Apparently, I could hurt him. Well, I bet he had never seen that before. He had not. And, you know, I didn't know it at the time. But, of course, Mark was in the background just watching this whole thing. And, you know, the guy, the poor guy's on the floor, you know, gasping, clutching his abdomen. And I didn't, I did hit the right target. I didn't hit too low. And Mark came over and he just looked at me and said, how many years of ballet? And I looked at him and I said, 27. And he just nodded and he said to Wes, the black belt, he says, Don't let the package fool you. She's a lot stronger than she looks. And that to me was like an epiphany or an awakening. It was a powerful message that I do have a lot more strength than I've given myself credit for. And we all do. Yeah, and it's an enormous confidence builder. And that is one Mm -hmm. of the, we'll talk about like benchmarks of, even just benchmarks of getting out of pain, benchmarks of, coming back from an injury, benchmarks of breaking through, honestly, any setback. I, I tell people that I specialize in people who have had a, a significant setback. And maybe it's, or maybe it's an injury, or maybe it's a plateau, or maybe it's, uh, I used to feel like I belonged in fitness and training in my own body, but I don't anymore, and there's, and there's got to be a way forward here. And finding that confidence is absolutely key. And it sounds like, for all of the fun at, that this sounds like you're having, That the confidence is really the giant win here and maybe the reason. Yes, it is. And it's really interesting because a lot of people will say to me, oh, Mark knew all along. He could see something in you. He knew you were going to be his first female black belt. And I just laugh and I'm like, no, he felt sorry for me. He felt compassion for me and he wanted to give me some kind of a, he wanted to toss me a rope or a life preserver to try and give me something. Neither one of us, nobody in the dojo ever could have imagined that I was the one to become, you know, his first female black belt. It was just one of those things. It's a crazy story. And 
It doesn't sound like it was pity, though. It sounds like he had a a remarkable and relatively unique skill set and said, I have just the thing. I have I have the secret here and I know why Mm -hmm. you haven't found it yet because Mm -hmm. no one else does exactly what I do. Mm -hmm. And just to turn it around again, it sounds like that's what you're doing in your own practice. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, Mark had so much confidence that this was going to help me heal, that finally I just, like, I had to surrender and say, okay, I'll try it. And, you know, I, it was about three months into it. I I was going to maybe take a month worth of classes. And I was, I shocked myself when I was signing the check for the next month tuition. I'm like, wow, why am I doing this? And I thought, yeah, three months, maybe I'll, you know, give it a whirl and then I'm out of here. And then after three months, one of the guys talked me into testing for my yellow belt. And I'm like, but I don't want to. So he nagged me to the point where I finally said, okay, just to get you to shut up. So you see a pattern here? And so I did. I tested for my yellow belt. And then that same guy, about three months later, starts nagging me again. And finally, to get him to shut up, I tested for my second degree yellow belt. And then about three months later, I decided, huh. I think I can go for that next level. I think I could test for the orange belt. Nobody had to nag me. Nobody had to push me. And from then on, you know, I just started climbing the ranks and it was Goaded into excellence. (laughs) I like that. I'm going to have to write that down. Goaded into excellence. (laughs) How do you take all of these significant martial arts skills and dance skills into... Well, the martial arts is always there. It is always there. And, you know, people will ask me if I ever had to use it in a real life situation. And it's like, well, I, I use it every time I leave the house because it gives you that sense of awareness, environmental awareness, you know, internal awareness. And it's not a way of being hypervigilant. It's just being aware and interest and always paying attention. And just the way that I move, the way that I look at people and, you know, even smile at them, you know, I use that warrior spirit because it's it's always there. And then, of course, the spirit of a dancer is really very deep inside of me as well. I I, kind of, I haven't had any ballet classes now for a few months because I'm doing something else that's time consuming. But it, it's just a way of the way it influences my way of thinking, my problem solving skills, and even, you know, just as I said, my movement patterns. That idea of how it affects how you carry yourself through the world, and you mentioned earlier it affecting people's posture and just how they start to behave, that seems like it would have a really significant effect potentially on how they deal with anxiety and trauma and concerns. We do a lot of Mm -hmm. work around breath work and helping people desensitize around Mm -hmm. anxiety, whether it's with pain or new situations. It sounds like some of this confidence building. Oh, absolutely. As a matter of fact, I taught a workshop this past Saturday, this past weekend up in the mountains of Colorado is probably past Vail, if you know anything about, you know, Colorado. So it's a small town, you know, past Vail, a little bit further west. And it's for an organization that works with women who have experienced sexual trauma. And so they try and get their power back, this organization, through mountain biking. So they do therapy and they have special programs. So they invited me to come to, you know, work, do some of the somatic movement that I do. The somatic movement, meaning the, you know, martial arts and Feldenkrais. So I kind of blended it all together and just, it was a two-hour workshop. So the entire workshop, and it was small, which, you know, you have to, that's sometimes a little more challenging. 
but I just had to keep paying attention and taking the temperature of the room and seeing where they were at. So I would know where to go from there by, you know, so it's kind of like a, a dance in itself of interacting with another person and what can I give them or what can I offer that they can, you know, be comfortable with, you know, and a lot of interaction as far as, you know, checking in with them. So it's, it's definitely like a dance and it's a variety of different, I use the, the dance background, the martial arts background, my Feldenkrais, and even my Pilates background. I love that. And that sounds like you were just doing a really good job of being extremely present with the group that you were working with and, you know, ready and willing to not read off your PowerPoint plan. I, I know you didn't have a PowerPoint, but not, not going through the book or things like that. And we talk, when we're talking with coaches, we try and hammer all the time that, yes, you should come in very prepared. You should have an amazing plan A. And mm-hmm. the moment your client walks in the room mm-hmm. and you you notice from the way they're walking that something's different, you should be prepared to toss that plan because something's different. And mm-hmm. if you're, especially if you're in person in that moment, connecting with a person one-on-one, it's a huge opportunity if you can be really present and pay attention and collect all the information mm-hmm. that is there for you to have. As you mentioned about that situational awareness, the moment someone's in the room, just from their posture and how they're carrying themselves and how they put their coffee down, like you can get an enormous amount of information. Mm-hmm. Be like, oh, this is going to be a different kind of day and I'm going to find out why. Right. And maybe they're willing to talk about it and maybe we're just going to start moving and I'm going to start taking notes. But we are going to find our way. F- and that is a, a way of being mm-hmm. respectful to your client. And, you know, I never have an agenda. I always have a plan. You know, and, you know, the plan has many, you know, tentacles or, you know, tendrils or whatever. But I always have a plan, but it's like I know that the minute I walk in, everybody walks in the door, this plan can just, you know, go morph into something else. Because I remember being a patient, you know, a pain patient, and everybody had an agenda for me. I had to fit their agenda, and it wasn't like they had to fit my needs. And so that's why I'm very sensitive about that and very respectful, because I think that's one thing that really turns a lot of people off and really dehumanizes them. If somebody comes into, you know, the situation and the practitioner or the coach says, this is what we're going to do today. I had that happen to me many, many years ago in a Pilates class. And I walked in and the guy said to me, what do you want to do today? And I says, I don't know, but what I do not want to do, I don't want to do like any crunches. My neck is really sore and blah, 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 blah. So we start, it was a reformer private lesson. And he says, okay, now we're going to do crunches. And I says, but I don't want to do them. And he says, but that's what I have planned. I says, come up with something else. So, you know, I, I, I use a lot of these past experiences that I've had myself and remembering how I felt at the time that I never want a client that I'm working with to be disrespected in that way. Especially in that individual setting, or if you're writing a program for someone, for it to be so obviously cookie cutter and that you're just caught in the template machine is offensive, frankly, because like, it's only me in the room. What do you mean it's what you have planned? This isn't working. And there's a big element, and I suspect you found this too, where if, if plan A isn't working for whatever reason, the next thing I come up with, especially if you take 30 seconds and explain why you're doing it this way instead of that way, well, we're going to do this instead of this because 
X, Y, and Z, you know, hope not overly technical, but just explain what you're doing. Now you're also educating people. So the next time, like 20 years from now, when they've forgotten my name, something's going to come up and they're like, oh, no, I know I, this like sometimes make this feel better. I can actually move in this way or here's a solution to that problem. And not only delivering a ton of value, but I love that. The template machine. I hate the template machine. You have some really brilliant Thank you. analogies. I I'm going to have to start writing Thinking these down. about this confidence and how important it obviously has been for you and for people you're working with. Are there any ways Are there any ways you can suggest to people to start building confidence quickly? I know it's not a switch you can flip, but are there some small steps that you think people could take to start achieving? Sure. The first thing I would suggest is start looking people directly in the eye and maintain eye contact. And that's something that we, you know, are considered it's rude or whatever, but no, it just means that you are really engaged with that person and, you know, the eyes are the window to the soul, but that really gives you that, that sense of being present. If you're uncomfortable doing this, and I totally get it, I understand, just do it with yourself looking in the mirror. And you're just looking at yourself, look at your eyes and give yourself a little bit of love when you're doing it. So it's not like you're trying to have mean face or you're trying to be scary. And then try it with a person that you're very comfortable with, a, a really good friend or a loved one or somebody and just practice it and turn it into a game. So that is definitely the one thing I would suggest is start practicing eye contact. The other thing is to start training your environment and this can be another game. We're not working on trying to be hypervigilant. You can go outside in your yard. If it's a safe place, close your eyes, listen to the birds, listen to the different sounds that you can hear in the distance. I call it sound layering. Take off your shoes, sit in a chair, feel the grass underneath your feet, and just be aware of the feel of the sun on your face. Maybe not today, right now it's pretty darn hot. You know, it's just so many different, those somatosensory experiences that you can have in a safe place outside in your own backyard. Take that same level of awareness to when you're walking in the park, noticing different things. And if you have a walking program and you walk in a certain direction, change it, reverse it, go the other direction. It's going to be a whole different experience. Same thing when you're going to the grocery store. If you always, always start in the produce section and go through the store, start in the opposite end of the store, go the different way, go to a different grocery store. It lights up your nervous system and it really makes that awareness start to come alive. So those are just a few simple, simple things that you can do. The other thing is just standing with your feet, you know, apart, maybe hip width apart, maybe one foot in front and just relax your knees and start to shift your weight side to side. A lot of us have like, you know, two go-to positions, either, you know, straight knees and really trying to stand very erect with our knees locked. Mm, that's not really good. But if you can soften your knees, not necessarily bent, just leave them soft, you get a flow through your body and you can kind of feel that centering and it starts to really change the way you, you look at the world and how you feel about yourself. I love that, especially because all three of those, to me, and let me know what you think about this direct people towards taking some control like i am going to fully pay attention to mm -hmm. this person and these people not in an intimidating we're not mean mugging people we're just collecting the information and connecting with mm -hmm. them for a moment you get mm -hmm. off autopilot if you uh i i, I don't mm -hmm. own a car anymore but it happens to me walking all the time and it has happened to me driving in the past like you go to work the same way every day 
and suddenly you're like, I don't remember the last 10 minutes. Did I really just drive a car at 50 miles an hour and not remember 10 minutes? That seems like it's probably not great. I wonder if I was paying attention. Like breaking that autopilot cycle right. even slightly, you know, adding two minutes to your to your journey is so worth it and will help you resensitize to taking this kind of information in. I tell people too, you know, I don't have cats. I'm not a cat person, but you know, I'm a dog person. But watch a cat and watch the way cats move. And even like if you look at the big cats, I like the big ones, like, you know, the the leopards and the tigers and stuff, but just watch the way they move. And you know, they're slowly turning their head side to side, taking everything in. And that 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 posture, their their bodies are so flexible and malleable, and they're able to move. And even their little paws, well, big paws probably. But think about that. Think think of being like a feline and having that same sense of you know maybe looking for a little mouse or something. It just you can turn anything into a game. And again, that's back to just being super present and being aware mm-hmm. of everything that's going on. Really being connected. Absolutely. I love it. Cheryl, this you can go to my website, which is CherylIlove.com, and there's no E on the end of I love. Everybody puts one there um, because it's just kind of habit. Even I do it sometimes myself. You can f- go to my website, and if you sign up for my newsletter, I have three pre-recorded audio tracks. They're 20 minutes long. I call it Meditation Through Movement. It's actually mindful movement based on Feldenkrais. If I say Feldenkrais, you know, sometimes that name people don't understand or it turns people off. So you could do that. You can also link, go to LinkedIn and connect with me. I love to connect with people. If you have any questions whatsoever about some of the things that we talked about, you know, send me an email, info at CherylIlove.com. I'm an author. I do have two books. You can find them on Amazon. The first one is Fitness Over 50, so it's Forever Fit and Flexible. And the other one is The Reluctant Ninja. And that one just came out in March. <laughs> so oh, it's congratulations. Kind of, thank you. It's my crazy story. I do have a podcast as well. And it's called The Femininja Project. So you can just look for that. It's, it's, on, it's everywhere, like most podcasts are. And if you're listening to this, we'll put all of that in the show notes and the social media links and all of the things. So you can go click on it and go to all of these things as coming on the Feel Strong podcast. Oh, Justin, thank you so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. I had a great time talking to you. Thank you so much for listening to the Feel Strong Fitness Podcast. Please subscribe if you haven't already. Leave us a five-star rating if you have the time. That makes a big difference. DM us on Instagram at feelstrongfit. Any questions if you just want to pick our brain. If you'd like more info, the website is feelstrong.me. We value effectiveness, individualization, and empathy. If you want to see what it's like to have an expert in the field, really listen and hear what you need to build you the perfect program to get you where you want to go, today is the perfect time to get started. We look forward to hearing from you. and Thank you very much. Thank you.